in the sanctuary. We're going to uh, continue in our Framing Expectations series together. Uh, If you haven't noticed by now, uh, as we followed Easter and entered into the series, the the scriptures have been uh, resurrection experiences. And uh, today we turn to Luke chapter 24, verse 13 through verse 35, and hear one of my favorite passages in all of scripture, uh, and uh, this encounter with the resurrected Lord uh, is a word of invitation for us this day as well. If you have your Bibles with you, as I see many of you do, I'm thankful for that. Uh, Turn with me there, Luke 24. If not, the words will be on the screen as we focus together on uh, the word of the Lord. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. And as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. Jesus asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things? Jesus asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priest and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it's the third day since all this took place. And in addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning but didn't find his body. And they came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said. But they did not see Jesus. So he said to them, how foolish are you? And how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. And as they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, stay with us. For it is nearly evening, the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. And when he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. And then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us and on the road and opened the scriptures to us? And they got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with him assembled together and saying, it's true, the Lord, the Lord has risen and had appeared to Simon. 
Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. This is God's word offered to us in its reading and in its hearing. And together we give thanks to the Lord God Almighty. Would you bow with me for a word of prayer? Gracious and loving God, what an extraordinary gift your word is for us. That when we approach uh, the, the Holy Scriptures, you, you are meeting us there and revealing yourself to us there. So I pray, O oh God, that you, would, that, that you would move in us to prepare us for what you have in store for us this day. Lord, open our eyes that we would see, our ears that we would hear. Open our minds that we would come to know and understand your word. Open our hearts that we would feel its power. Then in response, I pray that you would open our hands, that we would offer grace to the world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Have you ever seen the television show Undercover Boss? Uh, I find that the whole concept fascinating, Undercover Boss. I particularly like it whenever Undercover Boss uh, highlights uh, a boss who, who built the company from scratch. Because whenever they built the company from scratch, oftentimes they, they had experience at every level of the organization along the way. And so there, there, there's a kind of re-engagement there with them and for them. And so as, as they enter back into the organization, they're, they're watching to see uh, if the values of the organization, if the mission of the organization are permeating throughout, from the bottom all the way to the top. Uh, As a pastor, there are times whenever I have undercover boss-ish moments, uh, maybe undercover pastor moments. Uh, One of the places it happens often is is on the basketball court. Uh, There was a guy that, that I was... Uh, warming up with just a few weeks ago. I've been hooping with him for three, four years, and he didn't know that I was a pastor. And so we're warming up, and uh, we're just getting, getting loose and uh, waiting for others to show up. And, and he's like, hey, you know, what do you do for, for a living? You know, you have that moment of like, what do, 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 I, do I say? Because I know like the effect that it has. So I do. I say, I'm a pastor. You're a what? I'm, I'm a pastor. And all of a sudden you can see the, the, the Rolodex, the scroll of all of the things that have ever happened over the last years of hooping. All of the hard fouls, all of the unsavory language, all, 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 of, the, all of the trash talk. Uh, everything comes back like Boom right there in front of them. And uh, it's always interesting to see, uh, you know, that's the day where I want that person guarding me because they will have a totally different, more merciful (laughs) mode of operation. Uh, I love this kind of undercover boss Jesus uh, engagement. Uh, The scripture uh, reveals to us that there, there are two of them Two of them, I I find that fascinating. This isn't the disciples. This isn't the 12 or the 11. This this is the two of them, and it names one of them. His name is Cleopas. 
So we know the list of the 12, not one of the primary 12, but still one of them, one of the disciples. We could see in reference to the previous text. But I, I, I treasure these moments in Scripture whenever the second disciple of Jesus is not named. So I want you to, to, to be invited by God's word into this text along with Cleopas as a disciple. And I want you to hear your name as one of the two of them. And these two are traveling from Jerusalem to Emmaus. It's a seven mile walk. And so how long? Two or three hours. I mean, they're, they're walking with a purpose, right? They're not, they're not stopping and taking pictures. They're not on a scenic drive. This is, this is their mode of travel. And, they're, and this is a two or three hour walk for them. And at the beginning of the walk, uh, alongside of them comes Jesus. Now, they don't, they don't recognize Jesus. They actually are kept from recognizing Jesus. More on that in a little bit. But, but they don't they recognize him. And, and you know what that's like if you've ever been hiking. Sometimes as you're hiking, you find that someone is walking about the same pace as you're walking. And maybe you become a little party together. Particularly if you're in a, a more dangerous geography, uh, you know, strength in numbers sort of a thing. And, and so they, they start chopping it up. They start having a conversation. And Jesus hears that, that, the, that, that Cleopas and the other disciple uh, were, were talking about some specific happenings recently. And Jesus says, what are you talking about? Now, everything changes in a in split second for them as the question arises, as they realize that they have a, a fresh conversation partner along the journey with them. They're no longer in this moment walking with that purposeful, I'm getting to where I need to go walk like we drive cars. Now they stop. It says they stood still and they were downcast. They're, the mourning, the grief, the pain, the loss, that they had experienced over the last three days overwhelmed them so that they were brought to a standstill. I used to read in, in, in my spiritual imagination uh, uh, their response to Jesus in kind of a bombastic uh, sort of a way. Uh, are you the only one in Jerusalem that hasn't heard what's going on? But that's not befitting of the context that we see as they draw to a standstill and they're downcast. Their response is, haven't you heard all that's taken place in Jerusalem? And Jesus says, tell me about it. Fill me in. It's like, it's, like, it's like this moment, he wants to draw it out of them. Where are you in this moment? Do you, do you have a lingering conviction? What did you think? What do you think? How are you as my disciples? And, and so they start to break it down. They said, Jesus of Nazareth, he, he was a prophet who was powerful in, in word and deed uh, before God and all people. 
He, he, he spoke with power. He spoke with authority. When he proclaimed God's word, it was understood and, and was able to resonate deeply. Uh, he, he, he acted with power. He had deeds of, of, of goodness and mercy, miracles and engagement that, that was so beautiful to behold. And, and it honored God and it honored everyone that saw it. He was a prophet who was powerful in word and deed before God and all people. And we had hoped that he would restore Israel. But he was crucified. And then they go on to testify to the miraculous mourning that had taken place just hours before the empty tomb and the witness of the women and, and, and this, this space of wondering and longing that they were walking in. And what's Jesus' response? How does, how does he engage them in their pain and grief? How does he meet with them as they express their wondering He says, don't you know? Don't you know the word? Don't, don't you know from Moses all the way through the prophets that this is exactly what had to happen? This is the only way that, that, that Israel, that the world is reconciled to God. This must happen. And, and they're... they're eyes are open and they see not Jesus, but they see the truth of God's word as the scriptures are laid bare before them. That's the first two-thirds of the road to Emmaus story. There are three things I want to kind of go back to and lift to the surface for us so that we could be sure and, and, and be attentive to, to some of what God has for us this day, the first is in verse 16. I find it fascinating. Uh, the word says specifically, but, but they were kept from recognizing Jesus. Verse 16, but they were kept from recognizing Jesus. And I've wondered, and, and I, think, I don't think that there's a clear answer. So I'm going to uh, posit two different options that I think could both uh, be true for us. But I want you to consider them. The first is they were kept. Did Jesus keep them from recognizing him? Was it on Jesus' part that this lack of recognition was, was there and prominent for it to be recorded? If so, it might have been that Jesus, Jesus knew that, 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 that he had a word of teaching for them, a word of encouragement, a word that they would bring back to the disciples, that his resurrection needed to be testified to. It could have been that, 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 they under, that Jesus understood that their elation would have been a distraction from the teaching. And, and, and if that was so, Jesus needed them crystal clear, focused on the word of God so that they wouldn't, they wouldn't be, be distracted in their joy, but they would be focused on the truth. Sometimes we can be distracted or distractible, right? And maybe Jesus just needed them focused. Or maybe 
Maybe they were kept from recognizing Jesus because of their grief. Maybe it was their pain that made them myopic so that they would not be able to notice what else was going on here. I mean, you could relate to that. We have had times in our lives where, where we were so focused in on the singular issue that seemed to be presenting itself in our lives that we couldn't see what was going on right there before our very eyes. Sometimes grief and pain or even other emotions could cloud our capacity to see what is there. I think either one of those could be true and both of them can relate to us because sometimes we don't quite see where Jesus is moving and having his being in our lives, but he's there, right there with us. The second of of these three that I want to highlight is, is in verse 21. Uh, as as uh, the disciples, Cleopas and the other one, uh, acknowledge what has taken place, prophet, powerful word indeed, uh, and then he was crucified. Uh, th- there's this tender, uh, painful moment as they articulate, but we had hoped that he was the one who would redeem Israel. That that. That hope hanging on a string, tenderly balanced there, seeming as though it has in fact evaporated and yet there is just enough residue there to articulate that there was hope and maybe hope still lives indeed. This is past tense. We had hoped. Uh, we, we, we had this, this fullness of hope. You know what, what it's like when, when hope just kind of lives in you and breathes in you. And, 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 and sometimes you were in an experience where hope seemed to leave the building, but then it was restored and it's like life was breathed back into your lungs. And you move, can move from a space of despair to a space of promise so quickly with hope. And even in this quiet articulation of what seems to be past tense, there is still an acknowledgement of what once was. And as they turn to share what had taken place that morning, it's almost like they were trying to believe but didn't yet. Have you been there? Where you wanted to believe. Maybe you wanted to believe in a relationship or you wanted to believe in a future capacity or you wanted to believe in Jesus, but you didn't quite yet. Well, Jesus meets them there, right? He doesn't leave them there. He doesn't allow the past tense to become the future tense for them. 
He says, uh, let, let me tell you uh, why this had to be. Let me testify to the truth of the gospel. Let me, let me point back from Moses to the prophets. Did you hear that in verse 27? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. He taught them from the word of God about himself. I wish I had been there, or I wish that they would have recorded all of those teachings for us right there in Luke chapter 24. That'd be great, wouldn't it? A, a two to three hour teaching from Jesus on why the Old Testament matters? That would be fantastic. Because there, there are so many of us that, that, I mean, we love to live in the red letters for good reason. They are Jesus's words. We love to live in the New Testament because there's so much promise about what it means to be a Christian. Why do we still hold fast to the truth of the Old Testament? Because it's the story of the heart of God for you. And it points to the necessity and reality of Jesus as Lord and Savior from Moses through all the prophets. What a beautiful gift God's word is all the way from the beginning to the end. And Jesus turns to the word of God, the scriptures at hand, to testify to himself. Well, this first two-thirds of the road to Emmaus story for me is a, is a glorious testimony to the power of provenient grace. We as Wesleyans are, are, are threefold grace people. We believe in justifying grace and sanctifying grace along with provenient grace. Justifying grace, the, the, the moment when you receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior in your life, when, when you call upon his name and choose to follow him. And, and for some of us, we could name exactly when that happened. And for others, you, you might not know exactly when it happened. But for God, that relationship was restored, in fact, in a moment. And that is justifying grace when we are justified to God. Sanctifying grace is the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit in us as we are growing into the likeness of God, that the image of God within us is shining out in the world. And, and even though we yet fall to sin, we are being refined. Uh, and, and the holiness of heart and life is becoming aligned to the work and personhood of Jesus. Sanctification. But provenient grace, provenient grace is that grace of God which goes before justification. And once you've experienced salvation, you can look back on your life and you can see how, how God has been uh, pursuing you. How God has been, has, has been reaching out to you and offering you a word of hope and truth, a word of grace and invitation. And sometimes that happened through through friends or family members. Sometimes it happened through testimony. Or sometimes it was an encounter with the Holy Spirit that wasn't yet acknowledged or realized. And still, yet God's grace has been there for each and every one of us all along the way. It's as though we're walking through life. And whether we recognize it or not, Jesus is there. Jesus is there. Even in our challenges, Jesus is, is there. Even in our celebrations, Jesus is there all along the way. 
whether we recognize him or not. And so the, the story continues as they come to Emmaus. I, I, I imagine like a like, like a, a fork in the road with a little road sign, like, like 0.1 miles left, Emmaus is right here. Or maybe, maybe you could see the gate to the city off in the distance, right? Uh, and, and then there was a sign that pointed like up down the road even further. And Jesus begins walking further down the road. But he, you know, it's kind of like slow walking, hoping to be called back. It, it, the scripture actually says uh, in, in verse 28, Jesus continued on as if he were going further. <laughs> he was acting, other translations would say, as if he was going further. And so Jesus is like slow walking down the road. I've just opened the scriptures for you. I've just offered a restoration of hope that has been, you know, hanging, dangling by a thread. And what do they say? That's an opportunity for us as well. What do they say? They say, Jesus, even when they don't yet recognize him, stay with us. Dwell with us. And that's an invitation for you and for me as well to to ask Jesus to, to, to dwell in us, to stay with us, even as we're walking on down the road. Stay with us. And, and just as surely as they offered that word of, of invitation of Jesus into their lives to, uh, to, uh, to permeate uh, more of their lives, it's, it's, it's as though uh, Jesus' work as undercover Jesus had been fulfilled. Because he goes with them, stays with them, feasts with them. And he breaks the bread and gives thanks to the Father. And he gives it to them. And their eyes are open. Their eyes are open so that they could see what Jesus is doing and how he is moving in their lives. There's one final word that resonates for so many of us who have experienced an encounter with Jesus. And if you haven't experienced, I pray this over you in verse 32. uh, After they recognize Jesus uh, through the breaking of the bread, they ask each other, it says, were not our hearts burning within us when he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? This, this strangely warmed heart, this, this powerful movement of the Spirit within, uh, because we have been restored to one another. We've been restored to, to God all through the power and working of Jesus Christ dwelling in and amongst us. I mean, this is the good news. So we, we are to acknowledge that Jesus is with us all along the way. And when we ask Jesus to stay with us, there is power and presence that resides and abides forevermore and our hearts are moved into a different posture and place now now God has met us and his glory is known to us all through the work and power of Jesus if we enter 
into life, walking down the road that's before us. And we don't acknowledge where Jesus is. We miss it because he is with us all along the way. So my prayer for you this day is that you'll celebrate that moment when or maybe for the first time this day say, Jesus, stay with me and let your heart burn afresh and anew within you because there is power available there for each and every one of us. Would you pray with me? Gracious and loving God, what an extraordinary gift it is to to walk with you, knowing that your son will never leave us, will never forsake us, and that he meets with us on the road of life. Lord, we ask that that you would stay with us, that you would dwell within us, that, that we would know you and know your presence sustaining us and one another all along the way. Lord, we thank you for the truth of your word and this glorious invitation. Lord, we ask that you would be glorified in our lives as, as we walk alongside others on your behalf so that the world might feel that gracious embrace, that presence of truth and love that we so desperately yearn for as your people. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.